Uh, one further uh, uh, addition to our announcement is uh, Jack will have uh, the evening service tonight on Zoom. So we look forward to that. Jack will be having our evening service this evening. Well, let's uh, turn again uh, to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 26. Matthew 26, and last week we were looking at uh, this amazing uh, transaction, uh, this uh, interchange between Jesus and the Father as Jesus uh, comes closer within hours to his death on the cross uh, on Calvary's hill. And uh, we saw as Jesus moved closer to that cross that the Father begins to open up to him in a, in a greater and greater way, uh, what his destiny will be, what he will become, what he will uh, have to go through in order to fulfill the will of the Father. We saw the horror of what would cause such a one as Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, to recoil at what he saw. He saw the sin of the world. He saw your sin and my sin. He saw what he would become, that he would not only bear the punishment for it, but that he would bear the very guilt of those sins. And so that, that, that as Jesus looked at that cup that the Father was now putting into his hands, his holy soil, soul recoils from it. And he goes to the Father in prayer on three occasions praying, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. We saw, we tried to get a sense of the overwhelming sorrow that uh, came over the soul of Jesus as he goes to his friends, those who are closest to him. Uh, and he looks to them genuinely for strength, for comfort, and he finds none. Of course, that was all according to prophecy, wasn't it? Psalm 69 I looked and there was none to comfort my soul. Uh, the very same psalm that spoke of the psalmist drowning in, in, uh, uh, in sorrow. The waves have come up to my neck. I sink in the mire where there is no standing. We saw that that gave us a window into the very heart and mind of how Jesus was feeling, what he was going through in these moments. We also learned, uh, as we looked at the, the terror and horror that Jesus was facing, the, what, what was driving all of that, uh, that it, what was driving it all was the love of God for sinners like you and I. That in every cry that Jesus made, every plea to, that, that he made to the Father, every drop of blood that came from his body, behind it was the inexpressible love of God for your soul and my soul. And that in the struggle that Jesus was engaging in, we were called to stand back in amazement and say, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. We saw that uh, as Jesus struggled, He did so through the, through the vehicle of prayer. He prayed. That was constantly his practice. From the time he was conscious, he prayed. 
to his father. We, we see a constant habit of Jesus in the Gospels going off and sometimes praying all night to the Father before anything he, he did uh, in, in, in keeping up the, the pace of his ministry, in healing people and driving out demons and raising people from the dead. That wasn't done in his own strength. Jesus uh, would go to the Father. He would pray. He would pray when he was choosing his disciples. Uh, he would, having prayed all night, he would come, he came, and he chose the twelve. And so Jesus was constantly going to the Father uh, for these things, for strengthening. So now at this time, when Jesus would face his greatest test, when the Father would throw wide open to him uh, the punishment that would fall upon his soul, he dealt with it through the vehicle of prayer. He did not lean on past glories. He did not lean on the fact, well, I, I'm sure God was with me there and He will be with me now. Or I am familiar with the scriptural prophecies that say this is what is going to happen, therefore I, I, I can take some shortcuts. No, Jesus knew all that. And you can bet that Jesus was comforted by the word in his most difficult times. But it never, ever negated the need for prayer. And as Jesus steps over that threshold uh, that the Father was showing to him and opening up to him, he does it by through the vehicle of prayer. And he is, he is given the strength to do it. And in answer to that prayer, as we saw, an angel was sent by the Father to, to, to strengthen Jesus, to give him the, the strength that he needed to press on to the very end. What an amazing uh, uh, unfolding of God's love. What a, to, to have that before our eyes, to have that recorded in a book before us, that the most, uh, uh, most intimate transactions between the soul of Jesus and his heavenly Father are on the pages of the Gospels. And more wondrously, on the pages of the Psalms that were written a thousand years before Jesus actually came, that his intimate thoughts and his, his struggles were there written for us. What, a, what an amazing thing. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see and the ears that hear what you hear. For many kings and prophets desired to see it and did not. But we have it in our hands, friends, this morning. We can read of that very transaction that, that, that saved our soul and gave us that hope. This is what was going on. And so this is what Jesus did. He prayed. He did not excuse himself. The more uh, the Father opened up to him, the more intense, intensely he prayed. He was not discouraged. He pressed in. He pressed on until he finally arose from his feet in triumph. In those that threefold declaration, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What a Savior we have. What did, what did you do with that last week? I want to ask you that question before we even move on. Did that passage 
make any difference in your life. And if it didn't, please, you, you, we still have it in front of us. We still have it before us. Don't pass on from it. These are the most important, the, the, this is the most important thing that has ever happened in world history. This is the most important thing that has ever happened for your soul and my soul. And we dare not move beyond these things without a sure and certain interest in them, a, a, an apprehension of them personally for ourselves. That's the wonderful thing that we can personally appropriate all this glory to ourselves. And that we can know in a real way, we can know the fruit of what Jesus struggled for in that hour in the garden and those hours on the cross. It can come home to your soul. Well, that same model of prayer was to be also there for the disciples. And Jesus here is impressing that upon them. So let's read through that because not only in this passage do we see uh, what is happening with Jesus, we're also seeing something that is also uh, unfolding for the disciples that is going to be decisive for them as well. Then verse 36, uh, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So as Jesus enters now into this crucible of judgment that the Father is bringing down upon him, as he sees all the pieces being put into place, and uh, they begin to be put into place quite rapidly. As you start out on a puzzle, I don't know if you, any of you are puzzle people, but you start out in a puzzle, maybe it's 2,000 pieces, and it's all sky or flowers or something like that, and you, uh, you uh, are, it's taking a long time to get started. You find the, the borders, and you find all the, start to find the, the inner workings of the puzzle. But as you move closer and closer to the end of the puzzle, uh, you, having become familiar with the pieces that are there, they all begin to fit into place quite rapidly as you move toward the end. Or here's this piece. Now I know, I've been looking at that long enough, I know exactly where that now fits in. 
So all the pieces of the puzzle have been slowly coming together. But now within the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, 25 Old Testament prophecies are now being fulfilled. And uh, that, according to uh, mathematicians, is almost mathematically impossible. It's astronomical, the odds of that 25 prophecies would be fulfilled within a 24-hour span of Jesus' life. Direct, clear prophecies uh, uh, that were foretold in the life uh, uh, of the life of Jesus in the Old Testament. The nails piercing his hands and his feet. The, his, his, his clothes being uh, uh, um, uh, auctioned off and bargained for. Many other things. Uh, him, his being betrayed. His being denied. Him being struck by, the, by his father. The, and the, the sheep being scattered. Many, many prophecies we could go on with uh, that were fulfilled in the life of Jesus within just the last 24 hours. And Jesus knew that and understood that. And as that is approaching, Jesus is now impressing upon his, his own uh, disciples to watch and pray. He knew of the dangerous position that they were in. Dangerous because he could see what was unfolding before him, before the Jews and the Romans and, and all of these things. But he also knew that they were in a dangerous position because the inherent weakness of their constitution, of their body, and, and, and so on. That they, were, that they were at the end of the day completely unaware of how really weak they were. And so Jesus says to them here, watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. Jesus is dealing very kindly with them, isn't he? He could, he could spend many, many, uh, uh, you know, over an hour itself just berating the disciples. But in very economically, with very few words, Jesus is able to get his point across. Look at what he says. So, could you not watch with me one hour? In other words, so let's, Step back from this for a second and review what, where we find ourselves in the light of what you have just said. Peter said, though all forsake you, I will never forsake you. And then the other disciples chiming in, we will all die with you. And Jesus is now pointing out the irony of the fact that they were promising such amazing and wonderful things to be martyred with their leader, to die with him. And yet, Jesus is saying, here is this very small thing that I'm asking of you, to wait with me. The thing that I need the most right now is not your swords and your bravado and your promises to die with me. I need your comfort. I need your solidarity and your friendship. But you are not able to give even that. And with just these few words, Jesus shines a light on the irony of what has just happened, of what they just said. He shines a light, not just on them, but on human, uh, uh, our ability to deceive ourselves. 
He shines a light on each and every one of us. What a small thing it was for them just to watch. One hour. So could you not watch with me one hour? Even though they said that they would die with him. Jesus oftentimes, as I said, spent all night in prayer. Could he not expect from them just one hour to sit with him? Not even perhaps to say anything, but to simply be there. To simply be a presence with him. In the Old Testament, the priests in the temple were expected to keep awake all night and were punished if they failed to do so. And here, the disciples, even for a small fraction of that, could not even bring themselves to do that. Jesus is saying that the Christian life, the the life of our, our relationship with God, is both a wonder and a joy, but also something that is fraught with great challenges, great dangers. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's the most important thing in the world to be a Christian. To have that relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, this is eternal life. That they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom they have sent, whom you have sent. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, nobody in the world comes unto the Father except through me. So that to be a believer is the most precious thing. Most important place in life that we can be. To know that we have eternal life. That at this moment we possess eternal life. No matter what else might happen. One of the constants in this life is uncertainty. Our ability not to predict the future. Not to know what's coming in the next five minutes. So that leaves us in a very vulnerable position. Except for this fact. That if we believe. We have come into union with the God who knows the beginning from the end. Who knows all things. Who keeps us. Who seals us. And who will never let us go. And so to be in that place is to be in the most important place in the world. But also with that comes with it attendant challenges. Because when we take the side of Jesus, when we unite ourselves with him by faith, We are immediately the object of the devil's interest. And that's the way it was with Peter. Peter being one of the inner circle. As uh, an old uh, Puritan said, he who stands closest to the captain is a sure target for the archers. And Peter stood close to Jesus. And it tells us that Satan asked for him. The Satan desired to sift him as wheat. And so, Peter was blessed. Jesus said so. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, that you see who I am. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. He he blessed him, didn't he? He said, you are blessed. You are saved. You are on the road to glory. But on the other side of it, Jesus could also say, because of that, Because of who you are, you are also vulnerable. You're also in a very dangerous position. 
because the devil has an insatiable appetite to destroy anyone who aligns with me. And so Jesus was warning them. He had warned them in, in numerous places, even within this chapter. Uh, just to begin at chapter 26 and verse 2, the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then verse 21, he says, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then in verse 31, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Jesus had been saying, just within this chapter, just within a few short moments, the spiritual battle that was raging around them and wanted them to be aware of that and to take precautions as they led up to that moment that they are physically, mentally, and, and emotionally ready for the challenges that are right on their doorstep. And that is principally the idea of being able to keep awake in prayer. But we can, we can speak more broadly as Jesus is speaking here about watching and praying that we do not enter into temptation. The Christian life is one of constant watching. Because that begins with understanding who you are. We need to watch, but we need to know what to watch for, don't we? If you become a nurse or a doctor or whatever it is, a potato inspector, you are, you are called upon to learn to look for certain things. What should I be looking for? And what, what the patient might dismiss as being nothing, the doctor may say that's a cause for worry. And that is true when it comes to our lives. If we have already decided beforehand that the most important thing is our relationships or our jobs or our bank accounts or the pleasure of this life, we already are on dangerous ground, friends. We have already, we may be boasting like Peter. We may feel very secure and safe in our lives. But if we've already decided, and you can, you can judge that by the priorities in your past week, or how you've been living, and what that what keeps you up at night, or what gets you angry, what gives you pleasure, all of these things, when it's taken from you or given back to you, or whatever it is, then you can begin to decipher, you know what, these are the things that I think are important. But they don't seem to match up with God's word. That's why Jesus impressed upon the disciples, what does it profit a man if he should get the world, gain the whole world, and lose his soul? If I have decided then that the most important thing in my life is my soul, that the world cannot compare with the value of my soul, then I am seeing, right? I am awake, I am alive. I am understanding now where the dangers are. I can I can learn to know what to look for. I have been trained like a doctor or a nurse or some kind of inspector to look for these things and not worry about other things. And you may find that as you go to a doctor. doctor may say, okay, this is what you need to be worried about. These, this other thing, that pain you've got, 
you know, don't worry about Put some Voltaren on it. That should be good. But this over here is more of a concern. I need to be thinking about that. And you say, okay. We come to the Word of God in the same way. And we, we, we ask, what ought we to be looking for? What ought to be important to, what, to us? Where ought we to be looking? And because we've already decided that our souls are the most important thing. That Jesus died not for my bank account. He didn't die for my pleasures in this world. He died for my soul. His blood cleanses my soul from sin. And so on. So, so it, 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 we begin to form a picture in our mind of what is important, what is valuable. And if we have an enemy, that we also begin to prepare, we begin to watch, we begin to look around, not only immediately in our prayers, but in our lives as a whole. How is it with you then this morning? You start asking yourself, not asking yourself, praying over those questions. Lord, how is it with me? Lord, what did that thing this week that I get angry over, what does that tell me about my priorities? Lord, what does it tell me about myself that I could go Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and not pray, not read? Lord, I'm asked, help me, Lord, to really discover the significance of that. And God, by His Spirit and through His Word, begins to open up to you what Jesus was trying to open up to the disciples. Watch and pray. Be on your guard. Watch for the right things. Don't find your strength in the wrong things, but in the right places. Paul could say in Ephesians, look carefully then how you walk. In other words, how you live. Not as unwise, but wise. Jesus said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Do you ever get that sense? Look, I am a, I am a, I, I, I am a sheep in the midst of wolves. <laughs> that didn't end just with Peter. That didn't end with King David. That's a common uh, uh, condition of all God's people. Because the devil is constantly interested in destroying our souls and destroying our witness and sifting us away. And so Jesus says, look, because what you have is so valuable and so important, know that the enemy of your soul will not rest day or night. That he goes around like a, a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so he says, watch, watch. Peter, of course, learned this very painfully, to the point in his first epistle, he says, the end of all things is at hand, so be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Listen to that. The end of all things is at hand. If you're young this morning, you may think you've got a lot of time ahead of you. But really, we are on the edge. We are just on the cusp of eternity. We don't know. Like I said, we don't know when we can be taken from the scene of this world. Peter says the end of all things is at hand. We could be in eternity at any moment. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 
how then do your prayers take on a greater urgency? And by understanding, look, ultimate issues are at stake. The ultimate issue of my soul. And it doesn't matter if it's if I'm five days away from it or 50 years. My relationship with God is still the ultimate thing. And so I have to be watchful. I have to put a priority on prayer the way the Bible puts a priority on prayer. I have to put a priority on prayer in my life the way Jesus put it in His life. Though He was the Son of God, He never stopped praying. He would pray all night. And if I am encompassed by all sorts of evil around me, a devil who wants my soul or to destroy my witness, and I understand What's at stake in terms of eternal life? Then I will listen to Peter and say, Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. That means that to be sober-minded and self-controlled comes into every aspect of your life. You You begin to control your day and your decisions by how it will affect your prayers. Paul says, for example, I beat my body to bring it into submission. We think of the Olympic athletes that are over in Beijing right now. They've trained long and hard. They denied themselves social outings and food and sleep and all manner of things, all for that one thing, that gold medal. Beijing, they ate, drank, and sleep Beijing for the last how many years? In other words, they're doing in a physical way what Peter's encouraging us to do in a spiritual way. Be self-controlled and sober-minded in everything for the sake of your prayers. That really highlights for us then, doesn't it? The fact that I cannot put a low premium on you know, whether I miss my prayers in the morning or not. Oh, well, it'll be there tomorrow. But there could come a temptation in that day that you had not reckoned upon. A temptation that will throw you in very serious ways. Something from which you may not recover. So Jesus says to the disciples, watch and pray. Watch and pray. To watch is one thing. But it's another to know what to watch for. And that's where we pray. Just again, as a doctor or a nurse is told what to look for, prayer helps us to know what to watch for. Peter was watching. Peter was Peter was watching, but he, he was looking at the wrong things. When Jesus was threatened, he said, Lord, here's a sword. Wrong answer. Why? Why was it the wrong answer? Because he hadn't prayed. He hadn't taken the time to take Jesus seriously. When Jesus was telling him what all the, the, the dangers were and what the solution to that was, was to pray. Peter said no to prayer. He decided that he had enough strength in and of himself. At the first moment of, of danger, he goes for the sword rather than on his knees to pray. Jesus doesn't say, train yourself as a soldier here. Get your, 
strap on your sword, gather your shields, make political alliances so that you can get out of trouble. Just watch and pray. Watch and pray. How important that is. Because we are, when we pray, we are going to the God of the universe. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. That's what Psalm 124 is all about. He outlines the incredible dangers. We're like birds, and these enemies of ours are like ravenous wolves. Where then does our help come from? Where can we go in such danger? You might say, well, we've got to get some more money. We've got to get some more skills. We've got to get more people on our side. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. When Israel forgot that, they were judged for it. When David forgot that, he paid a heavy price. When we find ourselves in those times of spiritual compromise, when we find ourselves in those times of, of being pulled this way and that way, if we have not gone to God in prayer about it, friends, we are just leaving ourselves completely vulnerable as Peter did. doesn't matter what it was, whether it be a sword or money or however we want to get out of the situation. Unless we pray. Jesus says, watch and pray. It could be at work. It could be at school. It could be in your own home where those temptations come from. Very subtle temptations. Things that you didn't even look for in the day, but they're right on your doorstep as soon as you turn around. And where did that come from? Here I am in this very difficult situation now and I hadn't planned on it. I hadn't prayed. The wicked have laid a snare for me, says the psalmist, but I have not erred from your precepts. So it's the Spirit of God who is best able to help us to discover those plots. Because we've already said, this is the most important thing in my life. My soul and my relationship with God through His Son Jesus. I start there, okay? Then out of that, I begin to realize what the dangers are. If I am given a, 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 an amount of gold to ship from Disable to Moncton, hey, $10 billion worth of gold. I don't know if you can carry that much gold in a car. But you say, well, I only have a Toyota Corolla, or I only have a, an old F-150 or whatever. I've got to get it from here to there. And so I've got to rethink everything. I don't know how many people know about this. Does anybody else know? Well, I've got to start rethinking my route. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'll have to go this way and that way. And uh, I'm, maybe, maybe I won't stop at the Borden Tim Hortons for a coffee. Maybe I'll just keep going through. Uh, maybe I'll just uh, I'll make as good time and not. I'll, I'll keep my speed a certain speed limit so I'm not stopped by the RCMP. Uh, uh, what, what are you doing? You're reevaluating everything because of the significance of what you have. And that's what Jesus was impressing upon them. Your soul is more valuable than the world itself. More valuable than the relationships that you form, the jobs that you have, the money in your bank. Everything 
You need to be watchful over it. Pray, and the Spirit of God, through prayer, begins to enlighten you. You know what? My priorities were over here with all this stuff, but now the Spirit has shown me that because my soul is of internal, eternal value, that here is where my priorities ought to be. And that prayer is now becoming more and more important to me because my soul, I know, is so important. Be on your guard for those things that take you away. Take you away from God. Take you away from church. Take you away, importantly, from prayer. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not of the flesh, but are mighty in God. They have divine power. Destroying strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but are mighty in God. That's where Peter went wrong. He neglected to pray. He fell asleep. He was reminded three times to watch and pray. He didn't. The moment danger reared its head, Lord, here's a sword. Carnal. Of the flesh. Worldly weaponry. Paul says our weapons are not that way. Our weapons are down on our knees before God, praying, seeking Him, confessing that He does among His will, among the armies of heaven and the sons of men. He loves His children. They are the apple of His eye. His Son died for them. And we bring those things before the Father and we pray earnestly to God in this way. Not carnally, by turning to money and to weapons or whatever else it is, backbiting to solve our problems. But we go and we pray. We recognize the time of temptation. And friends, we are all here in in our areas of temptation, like I said, are very different. It could be in school. It could be a, a, a teacher that you have who has a completely godless worldview. It could be a friendship that you have and a friend is very uh, 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 argumentative and influential in a a different direction. Things that you hadn't prepared and you hadn't prayed and now their arguments seem very plausible and you're very much drawn to them. And the same Satan that is trying to destroy the souls of the disciples here through the Romans and through the Jews will do it through a university professor. Or we'll do it through a close friend or a family member or a documentary that you see on YouTube or whatever it may be. And because you have not prayed, you have not fortified your soul, not taken Jesus seriously. But now a a trap has been set, a snare has been laid. That's what Jesus says, lest you enter into temptation. Their temptation was to deny. And that's what they did. That's what Peter did so boldly and brash. I don't know who he is. I don't know what you're talking about. It's incredible, isn't it? It's really incredible. And what, what's even more incredible is that we say, how terrible, Peter. We don't see ourselves in Peter. That, that, that's the more tragic thing. Not that we look and read, oh, what a terrible story. The more tragic thing is to say, I would never have done something like that. How foolish Peter could, how weak, how pathetic. No, to be spiritually minded is to say, Lord, I would have done the same thing. 
And so here, Jesus, is, this is the temptation that was immediately before them to turn away, to deny. And so, as I said, those, those can come at us in various places. And people have done it for the sake of a job. My job requires this of me, therefore, this part of my faith is compromising that, therefore, because I've already decided that my job or my relationship is the most important thing to me, my faith has to lose out. My confession of Jesus takes a back seat to that. Why do you make those decisions? In large part because we have not prayed. We have not taken Jesus seriously. We have not learned the fear of the Lord as, as we were looking at last Sunday night in Proverbs. To take God seriously. For the will, spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus was not completely condemning Peter here. He was, he was giving credit where credit is due. He, he knew Peter's heart. He knew Peter loved him. He knew that Peter wanted to do the right thing. And when Jesus, when Peter said, Lord, I am willing to die with you, he knew that Peter believed it. And Peter did believe it. But Jesus knew that Peter wouldn't do it. Even though his spirit was willing, he knew that Peter was like, Cha! That could be blown away. It's so easy. No, no staying power. He knew, the, he knew the ways of man. He knew the heart of man. He knew the hearts of even those closest to him. The Spirit can be willing. Paul said that. We read that in Romans 7. As with my mind, I, I love God. I serve the law of God. But in my flesh, the law of sin, I want to do good. But evil is present with me. See, Paul was realistic. Paul was owning up to what he was really like. Oh, wretched man that I am. What if Peter had said that? Had come to learn that lesson early on? What if Peter had, had that been a constant refrain in his own mind? Peter may have decided, you know, I better take Jesus seriously. All this stuff is swirling around us. I better get on my knees right now and pray instead of beating my chest. The Apostle Paul, he had a very realistic view of reality. Oh, wretched man that I am. When I go to do good, evil is present with me. The things that I want to do, I don't. And the things that I do, I hate these things. <laughs> you know, he doesn't give up and throw in the towel. He, he, he realizes that his hope and confidence is in Jesus. And Peter, as Peter's ultimate failure was there before him, it was still going to be paid for by the one whom he was denying. His death on the cross would pay for Peter's sin. That's why Paul says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. That's our hope. It's not an excuse not to pray, but when we fail, it's not a, an excuse either to throw in the towel and walk away and say, you know, I, there's no hope for me. I'm just pathetic. I'll never get it. We take that to Jesus. We take, we take our struggle to Jesus. Lord, I'm so empty. I'm so dead. I can't concentrate. Lord, help me to pray. 
We never go back. No turning back, no turning back. We, we confess and we embrace the struggle. We admit it for what it is. We say, oh, wretched man that I am. We say, this is what my weakness. The flesh is weak. But thanks be to God that my hope is not in my flesh, but in the blood of Jesus Christ. And as, as I keep going back to that, I say, my help is in the name of the Lord. My help is in the name of the Lord, who is Savior, who is Messiah. My help is in Him. Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as we, but I have paid thee. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs we bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And so we see here the, the un, unyielding love of Jesus for his own. He doesn't crush them. But he lovingly and tenderly points out their inconsistencies to say, have you learned? See your bravado moments before and now your complete inability. I don't want to crush you. I want you to show you that your confidence in the flesh is misplaced. Your confidence in God is well placed. Turn to me. Turn to me. Realize the spiritual battle that is raging around you. Realize what is at stake. A man's life does not consist in what he possesses. That our souls are the most precious things that we have. And when we start there, we will begin to rearrange our lives so that prayer, being watchful, drawing near to God, becomes most important thing. Well, let's pray. Oh Lord, how difficult it is for us to really pray. Not to say a quick prayer offhandedly, but to really wrestle in prayer. Lord, we'd rather sometimes climb a mountain. We'd rather wrestle a wild animal than, than, than to earnestly pray and to wrestle with you. But yet we know, Lord, that here is our victory. Here is our strength. Looking away from human carnal weapons, looking to the God who made the heavens and the earth, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be a people of prayer, mighty in prayer, mighty in the word. Father, we have an enemy of our souls. There is a spiritual battle raging around us in our schools, in our society, in our families, with our friends and relationships. The devil sought to get at Jesus through one of his closest friends, Peter. Jesus saw it for what it was. Help us also, Lord, as we pray, as we draw near to you, to see these spiritual things with new eyes. Oh, Father, help us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen.